our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's do it. But before we do that, we have to tell you a couple of things. First of all, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it's not for children. And this one is going to include some pretty graphic violence. And not Uh, like literary and interesting like a graphic novel <laughs> no like this, graphic violence like a this comic is not book. pushing sequential art boundaries it's just tarantino-esque uh, blood splattering everywhere mm-hmm. and lots of pop culture references <laughs> yes i am the non-believing sort of jew and i usually read the nrsv and i did this week well congratulations Thank you. um i'm the ex-christian i was raised presbyterian and i'm now an atheist I normally read the New International Version of the Bible, but this week we're doing some apocryphal books. Those don't exist in the NIV. Mm. Normally I look at the Good News translation for apocrypha, but this time... Just I, for yucks, right? Yeah. Because you hate... Well, because I like that it's g Good scholarship. Because I love a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. But this time I found something that was like fucking like Catholic bishops united for Catholicism dot biz or whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, it was better. It was like a lot better than the, like I was reading the Good News translation semi ironically because mm-hmm. it's like bad. But then I was like, oh, this is actually really a much better translation. So I read it there. I think that the official Catholic one is based on the NRSV, but I'm um, not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I know that our versions are different, yeah. but but it may be closer. Um. So. So, yeah. Speaking of that stuff. Uh, we are. Which we were technically, I guess. We are reading the books of First and Second Maccabees, mm. and they are they are canonical in Catholicism and for the Orthodox Church, but not for Jews or Protestants. Mm. And I don't know. Should we should we get into some fast facts? Let's do it. Okay. So Tell me about these Maccabees. So here's the historical background. Basically, the last several episodes that we've done took place like just after the Babylonian exile, mm-hmm. around 500 BC, um, when Judah, the Jews had just returned to Judah and they were under Persian rule. Uh, now we're going to jump forward about 300 years in time to around 200 BC. And uh, some things happened in 300 years. You'll be that, shocked and I thought amazed this was the only to discover. 300 year period in history where, where nothing, nothing happened. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, what happened is that Alexander the Great took over like everything. Mm. I hear um, I hear about him. He okay. Yeah, he was yeah, Alexander the mediocre. And uh so we had this huge empire, but then he died. 
And then his empire was divided up among his generals and whatever. So um, one of those generals was named Seleucus. And he took over the area that includes Judah, starting with him and then his descendants and the next, you know, several kings. That's the quote unquote Seleucid Empire. Mm, they called themselves King of Asia. Yeah, King of Asia. But for for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to call it Greece. It's not strictly accurate, but. Well, they imported the like Greek culture. They were like Greek they they were ethnically Greek, Greek the rulers were and stuff. they spoke Greek and they and they spent a lot of effort hellenizing their colonies. In Northern California we call it hellenizing. Hellenizing. Mm -hmm. Hellenizing. <laughs> um so a little regional yeah. humor for you <laughs> Bay Area people out so there. So we are going to call it Greece um even though that's not strictly accurate and also I wanted to say that my my Hebrew pronunciation is pretty good but I don't know shit about Greek pronunciation mm -hmm. and a lot of people do so it's all freak to me baby if I if I fuck up and say something totally wrong I'm sorry uh nobody actually cares though so maybe I'm not sorry it's all creek to me right which like, creek well it's a, it's a Woman muddy creek it's a swift moving creek with mm -hmm. lots of mud in it so you can't see clearly that's why they oh, say that. that's why they say that mm -hmm. in the south it's all crick to me mm-hmm <laughs> Of course, referring to the difficulty of the task assigned to Crick of Watson and Crick in cracking the genetic code. Yeah. And in um, acknowledging the woman who did most of the work, mm -hmm. it was very difficult for them to do so. That's why they are on the $2 bill. <laughs> yep. To this day. <laughs> So uh, the book, the books of Maccabees, first and second Maccabees. Why are we covering them as a unit? Um, so they're both about the Maccabean revolt, which was a was a historical revolt against the Seleucid Empire by the Jews. Um, and they cover these two books, the same material, even though they were written at different times in different languages by different people. Mm. Um, second Maccabees is basically a zoom in on the first like eight or so chapters of first maccabees it's like wait you might be wondering how we got here yeah record scratch <laughs> rewind um so even though they're like written probably like a hundred years apart or something like that we're gonna cover them together um and so first maccabees originally written in hebrew but the only extant version we have is greek by somebody living in palestine at the time mm -hmm. second maccabees written by Probably still by a Jewish author, but in Greek. Um, and probably in Egypt, from what I understood. Oh, really? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't 100% sure on that. Um, definitely, Second Maccabees is more interesting in terms of, like, the literary form that it takes. Because mm -hmm. it starts out with, like, in the form of a letter from the Jews of Jerusalem to the Jews of Egypt. Well, let's start with it then. Okay. Um, yeah, and it actually does start a little bit earlier than First Maccabees ironically i mean is it ironic or yeah. is it just coincidental no it's definitely ironic well there's no dramatic irony in the numbering being wrong yeah but you'd expect first maccabees to start first mm. it's irony bam so second maccabees is this like, was written in the irony age of course <laughs> of course yes <laughs> a little biblical humor after the bronzy age <laughs> the um, bronzer age oh god that's what we're living in now <laughs> 
Um, Second Maccabees starts with a little intro from the author who says basically that he took a work, like a five-volume work by this historian named Jason of Cyrene and condensed it down into one volume. And he says that the, the longer version is for, quote, those who wish to plunge into accounts of the history, but he made this shorter version to please those who prefer simply to read, to make it easy for the studious to commit things to memory and to be helpful to all. <laughs> that's interesting. This reminds, me, like, this reminds me of the translator's note on that other apocryphal. Oh, yeah, that's true. Except for this one is basically Sunday school dropouts. That's true. You're right. You're right. He's like doing it. He's like making the Bible easier to understand. And he also starts with some fast facts because mm-hmm. the main our main story is going to start around 200 BC. But he goes back and he's like, okay, so we all know the Babylonian exile happened, like just like we do. And uh, he says, you know, like the prophet Jeremiah like hid the Ark of the Covenant in a cave uh, when the Babylonian exile happened. And then when we got back, Nehemiah found this oil that had been hidden in the cistern in the destroyed temple. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, surprised that it could still burn after all these years. And they're all, like, really, really impressed. They sprinkle it on wood and light the wood on fire. And they're like, holy shit, it's flammable. Oh, my God. It's called naphtha. We gotta throw a party. We gotta throw a party. Except they don't really throw a party. Not then, no. Yeah. Later they do. So it's a little confusing. Mm -hmm. But then we're going to join our main narrative. So we have Seleucus who started the Seleucid Empire. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go down about like six spots in the lineage until we get to Seleucus IV. Okay. And he's the king. He's the local king. Yes. They take various titles, but they're always referred to in the text as... Well, he's not the like local king. He's the big king. Yeah. Yeah. He's the emperor. Fair enough. Of what we're calling Greece. Um, Seleucus IV Philopater is his title. The Philopater. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, as far as I know from my limited Greek knowledge, means love father. Or maybe dough father, like Philo dough. Oh, a tasty father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so under Seleucus IV, the high priest in Jerusalem is this guy named Onias. And he is a really good godly priest. He's great. Everyone loves him. He's a good Except Jew. for a lower ranking priest named Simon mm-hmm. who wants to you know, usurp him and, and take his power. So Simon tells the Greeks like, oh, there's all this money in the temple that you should go and take. So the Greeks send this guy Heliodorus to take the money. Awesome name. Yeah, totally. And then um, Onias is like, no, that's that's our funds for widows and orphans. You can't take that. Heliodorus tries to take it anyway, but he is is knocked back by an apparition of a, a warrior in golden armor riding a horse and then, like, some extremely handsome men that flog him. <laughs> Two young men also appeared to him, remarkably strong, gloriously beautiful, and splendidly dressed, who stood on either side of him and flogged him continuously, inflicting many blows on him. Um, And so he's, like, just, like, just debilitated. Onias very kindly makes a sacrifice for him to restore him to health. And he goes back and tells the Greek king, like, yo, don't fuck with these guys. They've got supernatural horses. Yeah. And he converts to Heliodorus. Oh, does he? He does. Because he just literally saw, like, an apparition of Yeah. (laughs) He was, like, literally beaten by handsome ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Handsome angels. Um, But Simon, this lower-ranking priest, is still trying to bring Onias down. 
if God is out there on the streets beating up fucking ministers from the evil king, uh-huh. what more can a priest want? I don't understand. Why would you want to, like, all this squabbling for internal power would surely be meaningless in the face of that kind of... Not to, not to fucking idiots like Simon. <sighs> He's just some power hungry... I'm just disappointed because, like, you know... There are people of, of true faith in the world today that have never seen God show up in a yeah, golden chariot. That's true. And then you've got Simon like, whatever. I don't care about apparitions. I want to like be the high priest. Yeah. Well, so whatever. Seleucus IV dies and Antiochus IV takes over. And, and they all um, have a second name too. Well, they also, yeah, they have titles generally. Yeah. I think this guy is Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Yeah. Because there'll be another Antiochus later. There's going to be like a bunch of, there's going to be a bunch. I hate that. Yeah, I know. Everybody get ready to get sick of the word Antiochus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First Maccabees doesn't go into that much detail here. It just says things were basically getting too Greek and people were like getting wicked and worshiping idols. Second Maccabees goes into a lot of detail here. So they start with, well, Onias gets ousted by his brother, Joshua. Mm -hmm. So Joshua, as we've said before that's like a form of the name jesus right but this guy changes his name to jason Mm -hmm. to be more greek and he's like trying to suck up to the greeks and he sucks up magnificently yeah he does and he creates a gymnasium he is all about the gymnasium he goes for special permission to the king and he's like i want to set up a gymnasium in jerusalem and both first and second maccabees are horrified by this Mm -hmm. they're like can you believe this fucker Put a gymnasium in our city. Not only that, he took delight in establishing a gymnasium right under the citadel, and he induced the noblest of young men to wear the Greek hat. Wear the Greek hat? Yeah. Can you believe it? <laughs> the hat. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have an image in my mind of a Greek hat. I don't know what that means. Um, maybe it's like, do you think it's like the foreskin? To wear the Greek hat? Yeah. Because they're going to get real mad about how Jews aren't circumcising their kids. Maybe that's wearing the Greek hat. It's certain, it sounds like something, I'll tell you that <laughs> So, uh, oh, and then Simon's brother Menelaus ousts Jason, and he sucks up to the Greeks even more. Yeah, Menelaus is pretty much the worst. So there's this big power struggle between like Menelaus and uh, Jason, and it's like a mini civil war and all these Jews are dying. And Antiochus thinks that the violence is a revolt against him. So he comes in and also starts killing people. So, like, everybody's dying. It's chaos. There's They're, like, looting the temple, blah, blah, blah. Another time that the temple is sacked and all the yeah. sweet-ass silverware is stolen. Yeah. Although it's not destroyed. It's just... Stolen. Just Yeah, just looted. So then basically in 2 Maccabees, we get a bunch of chapters about, like, all the oppression that the Jews are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Under this occupation. Um, so there's like all these lurid stories. There's a the women killed for circumcising their babies. Um, they kill a bunch of Jews during the Sabbath because they're not allowed to fight back because they're observing the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this one story that we extremely need to talk about, mm-hmm. which is the Seven Brothers. One of the grislier tales in the book. Yes. So there's seven brothers. They need brides. <laughs> And they refuse to eat pork because mm-hmm. it's not kosher. So the Greeks uh, dismember them and cook them alive in a giant pan one by one. Yes. 
In front of their mother. Right. Um, now, I think this is like the most interesting thing of all the stuff that we've read this week. Okay. Because so in our episode on Zechariah, we had our our biblical scholar on, Rob Casho, mm-hmm. um, who told us, gave us some insight about how prophetic visions could be like political tools. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you see that here really clearly because these sons, as they're gruesomely murdered, they all say things like, well, I'm not afraid to die because I know that when the day of the Lord comes, I'm going to be resurrected. Right. And like, um, yeah, you have power over us right now because God is punishing us for our sins. But we know that in the end, God is going to punish you even worse. So like, oh, and the mother even says that like when they get to the last son, they're like, can you please just tell your son to eat pork so we don't have to fry him in a pan in front of you? Right. And she's like, no, like, son, we're righteous. We'll be resurrected, you know, die for Judaism. And he does. And then they kill her. So you and I got bored reading over and over. Oh, the day of the Lord is near and mm-hmm. God is going to like punish the sinners and reward the just. And Yeah. When some crusty old dude wanders in from the wilderness and tells everybody that yeah. they're going to hell. It's and like, like the Babylon is going to get punished even worse. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And so we were like super bored with that. But like these people heard it over and over again. And it was like a motivation to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, I don't think. Probably it didn't really literally happen that seven brothers were fried in a giant pan in front of their mother. But this is a historical rebellion. There were actually like rebel fighters. And it seems very plausible to me that they would literally believe in this stuff. Like it would be a great way to form like a a cohesive identity, you know, as a group. And from what I read, since Second Maccabees was written by a Jew in exile or sort of not in the Holy Land and was intended for Greek-speaking Jewish audiences. Mm-hmm. It was intended to do exactly that, establish right. establish a sense of, of identity and of uh, belonging. Like these, the Jewish people, the Maccabeans and their struggles against the empire are like all of our struggles. And it's like um, now that we're past the era of the prophets, mm-hmm. it says like the prophets no longer walk among us or whatever um like you have to find a new way to convey that message and so this is the new way right it's it's via like a folk tale Mm -hmm. instead of a prophetic vision but it it uses the exact same sort of imagery it does you're right you're You're absolutely right just to have that reaction like instead of just being like yeah we fucking know babylon's gonna get punished we've read it a hundred times you know mm-hmm. like it was so weird to see someone take that same material and be like i will die for this you know right before we move on from the seven brothers i do want to mention the last sentence of that chapter mm-hmm. which is let this be enough then about the eating of sacrifices and the extreme tortures <laughs> yes let it and i say if only that were true. If only. <laughs> but I do like, that's what I like about some of this apocryphal stuff. You, Because it's not as tightly managed, it feels mm-hmm. like, you know, it didn't go through the same. Vetting uh, process. Mm-hmm, that uh, sometimes a little bit more of the author shows through, like in, yeah. like in the translator's note, or as we'll see in the epilogue. In Ecclesiasticus it did, mm-hmm. or Sirach. And yeah, and we'll definitely see it in Second Maccabees here. But so, I like that he's saying, you know, 
I know you're grossed out because I'm grossed out, yeah. too. I wish I didn't have to invent this insane story for you. <laughs> but needs must. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a rebel group forms against these Greeks, you know, because they're so oppressive. Mm-hmm. Um, in First Maccabees, it starts with this guy, Mattathias, who has five large sons. Mm-hmm. Big one, boys. One of whom is Judas Maccabeus after whom the book is named. In 2nd Maccabees, it just starts with him. It doesn't mention Matthias. That's why it's called Maccabees. Judas Maccabeus uh, means hammer, Maccabee mm. in Hebrew. So he's like Judas the hammer. I also want to point out real quick, we had an evil Joshua. So that's like a Jesus. Right, and now we have a really good Judas. Now we have a good Judas. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I thought that I was reading this and I was like really disappointed for the historic, for for. Judas Maccabeus that like later on some other Judas came along and like ruined the name. Totally. But like, I all mean, those it, young Adolphs born that, right, like, yeah. grew up to be doctors. Although and in Hebrew and Aramaic, and it's um, Yehuda. Mm-hmm. So it's the same as Judah, which I think is probably symbolic. Like, I don't know if there probably wasn't like an actual historical Judas Maccabeus. I right. don't know. Well, I mean. But Yehuda Maccabee means like Judah the hammer. Mm. So it could easily like the nickname for the country Judah. just to stand in for for the for the nation yeah judah the hammer is awesome yeah that's perfect yeah but the jewish encyclopedia thinks of first maccabees as a well-respected insight into a historical period uh-huh. i'm not sure whether they consider it a like a real solid piece of history uh-huh because that concept probably didn't wasn't as nicely formed in you know 200 bc as it is now sure <laughs> but the first book, at least, is considered a decent historical source, or at least an insight into it, an historical time. <laughs> an historical time. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense, and, and from everything I've read, the rebellion is historical, like it did exist. I just don't know if there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus, but I don't know. I'm just some bitch with a podcast. Baby, you're my beat with a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for not saying the word bitch. That's very nice of you. <laughs> Um, so, so they've got this Jews in revolt. Yeah. (laughs) And they, they kind of, uh, retreat into the desert and form a guerrilla army. Mm -hmm. Um, they've got this group of mighty warriors with them. They should. But they're called Hasidim and not Nimrods. Total (laughs) ripoff. They go find the Nazarites too. Oh, they do? They go grab some Nazareths, oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Because those dudes are really strong. They have a good reputation, yeah. Due to not drinking wine or cutting their hair. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so... I mean, I think it's the favor of God that makes them strong, but... <laughs> yeah, and not cutting their hair. <laughs> they all... They're fighting all these battles. Yes, there's a lot of battle there's talk in these books. There's a lot of battles, and... Um, it's all, you know, we don't have time to get into detail about every single battle, but it's it's the same basic narrative each time, which mm-hmm. is like... It looks like they're not going to win. They're outnumbered, <laughs> you know, and the Greeks have all the money and they have all this amazing armor, but the, the Jews have God on their side and they win against the odds. Um, and so the king, Antiochus IV... Mm-hmm. He is getting more and more frustrated because he... Or, or frustrated, is or what I might he's say. he's frustrated. <laughs> he's, like, losing all these battles. And also, he's, like, spending all his money yeah. on just trying to, like, quash this one small rebellion. He's hiring mercenaries. Yeah. 
he's paying his his own soldiers like triple wages to march overnight yeah, and shit. And still losing. Yeah. So he wants to go loot this city. Um in first Maccabees it's called Elam. Mm-hmm. And in Second Maccabees, it's Persepolis. Mm. Um, and supposedly, Alexander the Great, who was, you know, king six generations A ago, man remember, of some distinction. <laughs> Alexander the Middling uh, left some, some valuable, like, armor here. Like, all these, all these <laughs> this gold and silver and stuff. And um, I guess he's hoping to, to get that wealth to help uh, defray his... His costs. Mm-hmm. Wealth leads to health, baby. And so in first Maccabees, he tries to loot the city and then he but he fails. And then he hears that the Jews have won another battle and he gets very, very sad. Yes. And it says he took to his bed. There he remained many days assailed by waves of grief. And he realizes he's being punished by God. And then he dies. In second Maccabees, he gets very mad. Instead of sad. Mm -hmm. And instead of just like dying of grief, first God uh, strikes him with bowel pain. The all-seeing Lord, the God of Israel, struck him with an incurable and invisible blow. As soon as he stopped speaking, he was seized with a pain in his bowels for which there was no relief and with sharp internal tortures. And that very justly, for he had tortured the bowels of others with many and strange inflictions. (laughs) Thanks, God. Yet he did not in any way stop his insolence, and what was even more filled with arrogance, breathing fire in his rage against the Jews, and giving orders to drive even faster. And so it came about that he fell out of his chariot as it was rushing along. Yeah, so he tells his chariot driver to go faster because he's upset about his IBS, mm -hmm. and then they take a turn too fast, and he falls out of the chariot. And hurts himself. He's, he's, you know, he's like in a car crash, basically. Yeah, there, but for the grace of God. And then... He also becomes infested with worms and his flesh starts rotting Mm -hmm. and he smells so bad that no one will even like take medical care of him because he's too disgusting. Mm -hmm. And then he realizes finally that he is going against God's chosen people. God is punishing him. He vows to give the Jews everything they want. He decides to convert to Judaism himself. He writes a letter. A very penitent letter to to the the Jews. Jews. That's like, hey, guys. I was wrong. Sorry about the stuff. I'll pay to rebuild the temple. I'll free your lands from taxes. Uh, hope things get better for you. I'm about to die. Does that work out for him? Bye. And then he dies. Yeah, he gets no favor from God in the end. As Second Maccabees says, So the murderer and blasphemer, having endured the more intense suffering such as he had inflicted on others, came to the end of his life by a most pitiable fate among the mountains in a strange land. Now there is... A third account of his death in Second Maccabees also. Yeah. It was in the intro. Mm-hmm. And in that account, he, instead of trying to loot the city, he goes into the city and has a ceremony where he marries the goddess Nanea. And as... as Apologies the, to all our Nanaeanite <laughs> listeners out there. As the dowry, he's going to receive this gold armor and all the and all the riches that he was trying to get. But in this version, as soon as he enters the temple for the wedding ceremony, the priests lock him inside and then they open trapdoors in the ceiling and throw rocks at him and stone him and all his men to death. Which is awesome. Yeah. Great story. So like. Like how many rulers have they trapped in that same? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, seriously. Like wedding trap. So I, I just find it interesting that there's like three separate accounts of this guy's death and each one is like crazier than the last. Yeah. He was probably not a widely liked fellow. Yeah, it seems like everybody was just raring to come up with some ridiculously gruesome way that he died. <laughs> and then uh, and then there were worms and his flesh started rotting. And his head was gross and then his head like fell off. <laughs> and then like a lion ate the head. And then the lion died. <laughs> you have a knack for this, baby. Thank you. I think you're going places. So... So now the Jews have won this important victory. The king is dead. They fix up the temple. They rededicate it. And they party for eight days. And that is Hanukkah. That commemora- commemorates those eight days. It commemorates Hanukkah. It commemorates Hanukkah. <laughs> it doesn't actually go into detail about any miracles about oil. No, there's it's, no It just says there's a party stuff. for eight days. Yep. And that's Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't even use the word Hanukkah. It doesn't. Um, and I guess that like the other story about Hanukkah, about the a miracle of the oil lasting for eight days when it was only supposed to last for one is like, uh, elaborated on in some other texts, like the Talmud or something. And, uh, maybe a later Maccabees they're th- still three and four to get. Through. Yeah. But I think three and four don't have any, I think they're totally separate, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find out next okay. week or maybe we won't suspense and Hanukkah just Two peas in a pod. Whenever you think Hanukkah, you think suspense. Mm-hmm. You think edge of your seat. Yeah. You think, why did I pay for the whole thing when I'm only going to use the edge? Yeah. You think like uh, John Grisham Hanukkah series. Thrillers. Oil for eight days. That's what everybody thinks, right? Yes. Okay, great. On that note, improbably, we should probably take a quick break. allow it okay we're gonna hear a little music and then we'll be back in about a minute and we will continue on with first and second maccabines oh maccabines Mm -hmm. slurp slurp oh (laughs) bye-bye Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we are talking about first and second Maccabees. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Jewish rebellion against Greek rulers. The Jews are roaming around in a in like they have no, a, no, they're Jews. They're not Roman. They're Greeking around. <laughs> they've they've got like a guerrilla army. They're striking at targets of opportunity. Yeah, and they're led by Judas Maccabeus. The Hebrew Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judas Mac, Big Mac, Mac the Knife. 
and Jude Law, Jude of the Law, <laughs> young Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antiochus the Fourth has just died, so his son Antiochus the Fifth takes over. Except that Antiochus the Fifth is like eight years old. He's a he's a baby. He's so, a baby king. The person really in charge is Lysias or Lysias. Lysias, yeah. Um, the Jews are still continuing to fight against them. And again, there's like a million battles that we don't have time to go into. But I do want to talk about this one battle with Lysias because it has battle elephants in it. Yeah, this is the Battle of Beth Zechariah. Beth Zechariah, House of Zechariah, House of... Uh, what did Zechariah... Oh, the Lord Remembers. House of the Lord Remembers. <laughs> I just want to read some of this text because this is great. This is great stuff. Early in the morning, the king set out and took his army by a forced march along the road to Beth Zechariah, and his troops made ready for battle and sounded their trumpets. They offered the elephants the juice of grapes and mulberries to arouse them for battle. They distributed the animals among the phalanxes with each elephant. They stationed a thousand men armed with coats of mail and with brass helmets on their heads, and 500 picked horsemen were assigned to each beast. These took their positions beforehand wherever the animal was, wherever it went, they went with it, and they never left it. On the elephants were wooden towers, strong and covered. They were fastened on each animal by a special harness, and on each were four armed men who fought from there, and also its Indian driver. Indian driver. (laughs) Yeah, so these elephants have like a thousand soldier entourage each. They have an Indian driver. And some soldiers, like, uh, shooting stuff from from up on top of the elephant. Mm-hmm. And also they're drunk. <laughs> they're probably drunk, yeah. They, they've been given grape and mulberry wine. Mm-hmm. To arouse them for battle. And, uh... I mean, would you go to battle with low blood sugar? I mean, that would just be a recipe for disaster. No, I mean, as we saw in... Uh, Earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> when I went into battle with that bitch at the laundromat. No, um, Jonathan... Uh, ate his honey. Of course. And he was <laughs> in the books of Kings or Chronicles. I think that was in Kings. One of those. Yeah. Anyway, that's a good point. He, he knew the advantages. He went of, into of, battle and he was like, look how wide my eyes are. I just ate all this honey. Yeah. I, you, I'm in a, I'm in a killing frenzy because my blood sugar is right on point. Because I'm a bee tender. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of Judas Maccabeus's brothers, one of the five large sons mm-hmm. of Mattathias is named Eleazar. And he decides to reenact the scene from the Lord of the Rings movies where Legolas surfs down an oliphant. <laughs> and he succeeds in killing the elephant and presumably a lot of uh, other soldiers. However, the elephant does fall upon him and he does die. Yeah, it, that's pretty much as written in the text. Now, I don't know. I, I I don't know if there was like this happened to this person in real life mm-hmm. or whatever. But, like, clearly this is a way that people died in battle at the time. Yeah. Which is bananas. Having elephants fall on yeah, them? Yeah, having elephants fall on them. Yeah. Uh, Lysias realizes he can't win. He's fighting against God. Um, so he makes a peace treaty with them. And then he goes back to Antioch where uh, someone's trying to usurp him and become the new king babysitter for baby Antiochus V. Man, this... The whole... Administration is so power hungry and like backstabby. Yeah, this is a like very, nobody turns their back for a moment in this book there, without getting stabbed. There is no peaceful transition of power in no. this book. So he goes, Lysias goes back to Antioch, and then like right then, like to to fight off this guy Philip, 
mm-hmm. trying to become the king babysitter. And then this other guy, Demetrius, busts out of jail, and he was supposed to be the king after Seleucus the fourth, um, instead of Antiochus the fourth. So he busts out of jail, kills Lysias and baby Antiochus the fifth, and takes over. Declares himself king of Asia and king of Syria or yeah. whatever. King of the Seleucid Empire. Yeah. So now we've got Demetrius the first as our ruler. Um, and there's this traitorous Jewish priest named Alcimus. Alcimus. Um, and he wants to take power in Jerusalem. So he is like doing everything he can to help Demetrius defeat the Maccabeans. Alcimus, or Alcimus comes to the king, new king, with all of the renegade Jews. And he says, they brought to the king Also, this- the renegade Jews are the bad guys. Right. It's not, renegade Jews sounds like it applies to the Maccabeans. Wh- who are just Jew- they're Jews in revolt. Right. They're not renegade <laughs> yeah. Jews. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, renegade Jews is like a great band name. Renegade Jews? Yeah, like, wouldn't you want to be- That's actually not that bad. Like, you would want to be a part of the renegade Jews, but here it's the bad guys. <laughs> Um, Alcimus says to the new king, Judas and his brothers have destroyed all your friends and have driven us out of our land. Oh no, all his friends. His friends. Oh yeah, it does repeatedly refer to the king's friends and K and F are capitalized. I think that's like a knighthood or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it must like be something like that, but it sounds like it's just like... Yeah, all your buddies. The, the king's friends. <laughs> He's so lonely. His friends. <laughs> it's lonely at the top. Everybody knows that. So the new king assigns a special task force to go out and punish the Jews in revolt. So he sends this guy, this general or whatever, named Nicanor or mm-hmm. Nicanor. Nicanor. <laughs> something. Something along that axis. Um, But when when Nicanor gets there, he just makes friends with Judas. And they're just like chilling peacefully in Jerusalem. Yeah. Because he like sees how like mighty a warrior he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Alcimus, the traitorous Jewish priest, convinces King Demetrius that Nicanor is plotting against him. And so then Nicanor has to prove that he isn't by doing what he came to do and crushing this rebellion. Right. Um, but Judas gets wind of this. Mm-hmm. Well, and he so... like figures it out because he's like, oh, Nicanor isn't like treating me like a bro anymore. <laughs> Like, bro code has been violated. Yeah, like when we're like There's chilling, only one punishment for that. When we're playing video games together, he like doesn't even... You're struggling to think of a thing that men do. <laughs> I don't know anything about men. And I hope I never have to. <laughs> uh, I don't know. what Men... What what are bros... What's bro code? They're like at the gym. When they're like lifting at the gym, like Nikonor doesn't even spot him. Mm. He just like... Let him go it alone. It's very dangerous. So they like head out. Uh, they head out? Yeah, they head out to the desert to, to hide, right? And to regroup. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Nicanor cracks down on all the Jews in Jerusalem, trying to prevent them from doing their religion. Um, and he sends 500 soldiers to arrest this one church elder named Razis. Oh, yeah, Razis. I remember him. Um, and he's, like, hoping to send a message that, like, they're, like, cutting off the church at the head or whatever. But Razis decides he would rather commit suicide 
than be taken captive. So he runs himself through with a sword. However, in the like excitement, he doesn't do it properly. And so he's still alive. So he runs up to the top of a tower and jumps off of it into the crowd of the 500 soldiers that came to arrest him. But as they quickly drew back, a space opened and he fell in the middle of the empty space. Still alive and aflame with anger, he he rose. And though his blood gushed forth and his wounds were severe, he ran through the crowd. (laughs) And standing upon a steep rock with his blood now completely drained from him, he tore out his entrails, took them in both hands, and hurled them at the crowd, calling upon the Lord of Life and Spirit to give them back to him again. This was the manner of his death. That is fucking crazy. Yeah, so he stabbed himself with a sword, jumped off a tower, and then ripped his guts out and threw them on the soldiers. <laughs> While yelling some stuff about the Lord bringing him back yeah, to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, good on Razis. Congratulations to him. There's a lot of martyrdom in this book, where in the in the past books, mm-hmm. in the canonical books and the deuterocanonical books, there hasn't been much martyrdom. That's true. I mean, this is a different era. This mm. is like like Several hundred years have passed. It's a different political climate. And at least one of these authors was writing from like a different literary perspective. Mm-hmm. He was a Jew writing like in the Greek style. Mm-hmm. Um, so Big Mac, Judas Maccabeus, psychs up his soldiers. He, d- he pulls a Braveheart, classic Braveheart. Yeah. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. He Classic pulls like, Braveheart. He pulls like five Bravehearts in this story. Yeah, but this is like the Braveheartiest one. <laughs> so he's he's reading him Bible verses. He's giving him motivational speeches. Oh, he tells him he had a vision mm-hmm. of Onias, the, the good priest from the very beginning of the book. Come back to him Jedi style. Mm-hmm. And uh, he saw Onias and then he saw the prophet Jeremiah appear next to him and give him a sword. A golden sword. A golden sword to shatter his adversaries. Which a, a golden sword would be horrible for shattering yeah, adversaries. Yeah, gold is very soft. But it's interesting that this is another, it's like using the medium of a prophetic vision again, but like the context is totally different because mm-hmm. he's he's not a prophet. He's not a rapper. Right. But this really cool rapper, they give him a sword. That's true. And like... Yeah, I don't know. It's like he doesn't have an actual prophecy to give you. The days of prophecy are gone. Right. But he's been in touch with actual prophets. Right. He's got he's got the the okay from them to continue on. It's just interesting after reading so many friggin' prophets to like reach the moment where they Well it's like to understand how it actually affected things. Mm. Or to get a glimpse of how it actually affected things after all these months of like what the fuck? Nobody cares. And it's like, actually, people did care very, very deeply, mm-hmm. deeply enough to, like, give their lives. So he does that speech. They go into battle. Um, they defeat Nicanor. Uh-huh. They cut off his head. They feed his tongue to the birds. His, his head and his arm. Oh, yes, which he raised so arrogantly. <laughs> Against the Lord. Um, And yay. Hurrah. They did it. Um, And then... The book of Second Maccabees ends here, and it ends with a quote-unquote compiler's note, um, and it specifically says he's ending here because it's a happy part of the story where where they were victorious, and yeah. so he's just going to stop here so everybody can be happy. And he says, 
if this book is well written and to the point, that is what I wanted. If it is poorly done and mediocre, that is the best I could do. (laughs) And then he says, you know how like wine by itself sucks and water by itself sucks. But when you mix wine and water, it's a really great drink. That's what I hope my story is like, because that's what good writing is like. It's like water and wine mixed everybody's favorite drink Mm -hmm. everybody's favorite cocktail well that's not unlike uh white wine and ice oh that's true that's true ice in your white wine that's a a favorite drink of previous guests michelle sutherland yes oh my god we gotta let her know about this we gotta let her know that she it doesn't specify whether the water is frozen is a master of biblical rhetoric (laughs) a mistress Um, mistress of biblical you're right you're right excuse me uh, and then and then he's like, yeah, and that's the end. And so that's the end of Second Maccabees. But. But First Maccabees keeps going. Oh, yeah. And now we actually get, this is actually the brave hardiest one. Judas Maccabees' army is going up against a huge Greek army uh, led by Bacchides, one of Demetrius I's main dudes. Mm-hmm. And that treacherous Alcimus. Uh, treacherous Alcimus. Al- What's that? Alky Mouse. Fucking Dia. I don't know. Fucking Dia. Fucking deal. So, problem is that once the Jewish soldiers see how how badly they're outnumbered, mm-hmm. a bunch of them desert. Mm. And everyone who stays is also kind of like, maybe we should not do this. Maybe we should retreat right now. And... Judas Maccabeus gives the big Braveheart speech, mm-hmm. and uh, here's here's what's in the text. It says, far be it from me to do such a thing as flee from them. If our time has come, let us die bravely for our kindred and not leave a stain upon our honor. So trumpets sound. They go into battle. It says, the earth shook with the noise of the armies, and the battle raged from morning until evening. But then Big Mac gets killed. He does. And the Jews flee. Yep. So that sucks. <laughs> it's a loss. Yeah. Uh, it sucks that he wasted his Braveheart moment on that. How is the mighty fallen the savior of Israel, they say, when Judas falls? And also the writer says, now the rest of the acts of Judas and his wars and the brave deeds that he did and his greatness have not been recorded, but they were very many. <laughs> there you have it. That's great. That gives just carte blanche to anybody who wants to write a Judas Maccabeus story, you know? It's yeah. like, you want a heroic folktale? I'll just leave this little space for you to fill it in. Yeah, just to, just to let you know, he did a bunch of other cool stuff. Yeah. None of which has been recorded. Might have blown up a dragon for all I know. Probably did. At least one. Remember so, that? That was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. That was also <laughs> apocryphal. This is a very demoralizing loss. Uh, evildoers come out of the woodwork. They're fucking worshipping idols and... I don't know, waving their uncircumcised penises around. Mm-hmm. Alcimus is in charge of the temple now. And it's There's a famine, um, and it says, There's great tribulation in Israel, the likes of which had not been seen since the time prophets ceased to appear among them. So the people get together, and they put Judas's brother Jonathan in charge. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the five large sons, except two of them are dead. So there's only three large sons left. Jonathan's in charge. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, Demetrius and Bacchides and Dalsimus turn their attention to killing Jonathan. So he flees out into the desert uh, with his brother Simon and their other brother, John. So there's Jonathan and John. There's Jonathan and John. And 
John is supposed to go find a place to store their, quote, great quantity of baggage. And he gets killed immediately. (laughs) Seems a little harsh. Seems like John might be the uh, Joe Bluth of this family. Maybe. Like, that's all he gets. Gotta have a spare brother in case. They, like, don't go into, like, you never hear anything about his exploits in battle. You never hear, it's just, oh, he was supposed to go, like, find a place for them to put their suitcases, and then he died. So now there's only two large sons left. Yeah. Jonathan and Simon. They uh, they get revenge by killing everybody at a wedding or something. And no, then... that's that part is, like, I mean, that seems very realistic, like, because the people that killed their younger brother, John. Uh-huh was just a local like duke right. wasn't wasn't actually the king that has been right. messing with him the whole time right, right. or the king's men and they just find like the duke's niece or something having a having a wedding and they kill everybody at the wedding yeah which is fucked up it is i mean it's some game of thrones shit pretty literally but these are it's just it's just funny how sometimes it, it this oscillates between like regional politics mm-hmm. and like the fate of a people and sometimes it's just like local clans with vendetta yeah you know and also killing like, people at weddings a lot of the things that this rebel group does like killing people at weddings or like uh killing uncircumcised babies mm-hmm. um there's also one where they destroy uh the temple of dagon right or whatever are things that it's like well those are things that like bad guys do <laughs> you know like yeah you're not supposed to do that stuff you're supposed to be good but that was not the concept that this book was written with it was written the writer of second maccabees has in some of those key moments these like angelic visions show up oh yes that's true in second maccabees like in every battle not every single battle but in like like half the battles in the significant ones yeah there will be the apparition the same apparition that knocked over heliodorus at the beginning of the the like golden warriors on horses and a golden chariot yeah those will swoop down and aid them in battle and so that kind of stuff lends a real, like, mystical sense of right to, yeah, the, that, to the actions and of like the group. And, like, a superhero air, like... But in First Maccabees, where they just... It's it's more matter-of-fact. Yeah, it's So true. it's just like... It's in like, revenge, yeah, in they revenge were worshipping for, idols, yeah. therefore we had to slaughter them. In revenge for their brother, they went and killed everybody at a wedding party. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. And then they have, I don't know, they have a bunch more battles. Uh, Alcimus tries to destroy the temple, but then he's immediately paralyzed and dies in agony. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Bacchides gets so fed up that he just decides to make a peace treaty and fuck off. And this is where it starts to get really weird because it, there are now multiple kings. Yeah. That are like, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's trans, it's pivots very quickly from an environment in which the local king, not the local king, the Greek king, uh-huh. is like trying to eradicate the Jews mm-hmm. to a scenario where there are now two kings vying for that throne. And the Jews are like a valuable ally. And they're both competing for the for the love and support of the Jews. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, so, yeah, so another son of Antiochus who's named Alexander deposes Demetrius I. He's more favorable to the Jews, but then... Demetrius the first son, Demetrius the second, deposes Alexander. Demetrius the second got all that makes a peace treaty with the Jews, but then 
Alexander's son, Antiochus VI, takes over. Because it's horrible. Uh, Antiochus VI is even younger than Antiochus V, so he's like a he's like four. Yeah. Um. So his king babysitter, who's really in charge, is named Trifo, mm-hmm. or as my translation put it, a certain Trifo. <laughs> Do not trifo with me. Yeah, it makes him sound like he's trifling, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this guy's trifo. <laughs> and then, like, the Jews keep trying to ally with one or the other, and it... Well, the Jews seem pretty agnostic on it. They're just sort of like, people keep sending them letters with fancier and fancier gifts in them. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, we'll send some soldiers to you. It's like, whatever. Yeah, but then, like... They've got Jerusalem back now, I guess. Well... Do they? I think it kind of shifts <laughs> depending on the chapter anyway uh trifo wants to own judah so he has jonathan killed he tricks him and gets him killed so now there's only one large son left mm-hmm. and that is simon simon first thing he does is build a grave for his whole family yeah which contains seven pyramids then Simon starts ruling. He's real good. Yeah. He's a judge. Yes. So he's not like a king of the Jews. He's like a judge. He's not a high priest. Like back in the book of Judges. Yeah. So it's like full circle. And um, he, it says he gets the occupying troops out of the citadel. Okay. So uh, then this other, there's fucking, there's more, there's like a thousand more Greek kings. There's like two more Greek kings. <laughs> Somewhere in between two and a thousand there's more Greek the kings. the seventh. Do they do anything of note? He sends some guy to destroy the Jews, but they beat the guy. There's my, my notes for this section just basically say all the little kings squabbling over the thrones. Yeah. It's just like. There's some other, like a whole different guy comes in who's like a governor of Jericho and he tries to take it over. And It's, it's really not related to the Jews story in any way. Well, but this guy, this last guy, Ptolemy, mm-hmm. he invites Simon Ptolemy. <laughs> Why, Why not, not Ptolemy? <laughs> he invites Simon and two of his sons to a banquet, and he's like, yeah, dude, I'm, like, governing Jericho. Let's, like, you know, get together. Uh, but then he gets them drunk and he kills them. Mm. But one of Simon's son, John, because, like, all his sons are named after his brothers. Yep. Because, like, five large sons need to become five large sons. Mm-hmm. So John, Simon's son who's in charge of, like, the Jewish military, was not at that banquet. He's still alive. And Ptolemy sends dudes to kill him, but he kills the dudes. And then that's the end of First Maccabees. Yeah. So the five large sons are dead. Some grandson is still alive, a large grandson. So the Maccabees are still in charge of the Jews. I mean, they're still at least fighting. At at large. Yeah, they're still at at large sons. Yeah. They're still the Big Macs. At large sons on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> at large sons that would be a pretty good twitter handle <laughs> when we get 100 itunes reviews your twitter handle can be at large sons we'll see about that <laughs> uh that's the end of freaking first maccabees first and second maccabees and second maccabees yeah uh should we rate the book i guess we gotta how would you rate this book my dear i'm gonna give it seven out of nine battle elephants okay because a, it's fucking action-packed. After so many minor prophets, it was, it was such a fucking relief to have so much action mm-hmm. and 
interesting characters and conflicts and all sorts of stuff. But also, it made me understand those minor prophets and it made me understand the point of repeating over and over the day of the Lord is near and Babylon will be punished. I was like, oh, here's people using this in a deeply felt way that they're willing to like sacrifice their own lives hmm. for this. And I was like, oh, okay. It's not pointless. It's not boring. I mean, it is to me because I live in the year 2017. And right. I'm, Completely but, divorced from the context. Yeah, yeah. But like in its in its original context, it had a lot of power. Right. And that was really exciting for me to understand. That's awesome. How about you? I think I'll give it like nine out of 13 king babysitters. Okay. Um, for a lot of the same reasons. The, mm-hmm. It is uh, packed with incident. These these two books together make a very nice compliment. Yes, yeah. Because the first one rolls through and it's a little more it's a little dry neutral. Air. But it's still very interesting because you're like, whoa, like this is a, a, a record of the the battles that uh, sort of defined the Jewish people in an existential sense in this in this place. Like they were fighting for their identities against huge empire. A huge empire that yeah. wanted to make them Greek and yeah. be like you you should worship the same stuff as we do. In fact, there's a part in there where it that says uh the governor wanted them wanted to change the temple of Jerusalem to, to a, a temple, a temple of to Dionysus. Zeus. Oh, mine had Dionysus. Mine had Zeus. Interesting. And that was obviously unthinkable to, yeah. to the Jews. And so that's what sort of spurred this like guerrilla warfare that eventually earned them great respect as warriors to the point where when local when there was sort of squabbles at a higher level, they were like fighting over who would get the Jews, you know? Uh-huh. And also I love the part later when the Jews send an envoy to the Romans. Oh yeah. We didn't we didn't have time to fit that in. We didn't have time to fit that in, but that is apparently like backed up historically. That, oh really? That the the Jews at that time had a relationship with Rome. And Sparta. And Sparta. And they were active in sort of as close to like regional or world diplomacy as, as as possible as like as a, anybody else at the time not quite as a nation state but as sort of like an ethnic state mm-hmm. and religious state which is very interesting that is um, that's cool downsides may be a little too much battle stuff <laughs> like i don't really care how the battles were won or lost yeah but they would be i would be like more I think I would absorb them more if I didn't have to, like, summarize them for a podcast. Mm. You know, I think I might be able to just, like, enjoy, oh, and now they're fighting their underdogs and yet they defeated their opponents, you know. Yeah, but that's the same. It's it's that same story every time. It's not like this. But But, they do lose a couple times, which I think is also kind of cool. Yeah, one time they, like, jump into a river and... Yeah, Yeah, I might bump it up to 10 out of 13. I'm sort of convincing myself. But overall... Very strong book. Very interesting. Yeah. Would you put it in your canon? Well, second Maccabees, I don't think you can put in canon because it's like. It's goofy. It's got. It's some... not that it's goofy. It's just too. It's just way too honest. It's too like first person mm. where somebody's like, sorry if I messed this up. <laughs> I did my best. That's true. Uh, that's that's the huge no. I hope that it's like a good cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> that's the huge no, no for Jewish canon. Oh, yeah. I is, think it is for Protestant canon, too. Is that you can't 
it can't you can't talk about it and be like this is isn't divinely inspired right it cannot be canon if it's it can be an important book right and, and it like, is for jews yeah not for protestants though but it can't be canonical yeah it can't be part of the main set yeah. of divinely inspired literature i think that's also it was kind of interesting for me to read this because this is like very much outside of my biblical education hmm. i've never encountered these stories before at all so it was cool to get this like little secret hidden part of the bible yeah that's what we're in the apocrypha for baby yep secrets dangerous secrets mm -hmm. secrets about large sons. secrets we can never tell <laughs> except to the several thousand people who listen to this podcast <laughs> Anyway, that will wrap it up for first and second Maccabees. We still got two books of Maccabees to get through. Yes. There's also a five Maccabees, I heard. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, we might we might get into some more Maccabees. We'll think about how many beans we want to cover. Yeah, Maccabees. Mm -hmm. Chomp chomp. But before we do that, we do have to talk about something very serious. What's that? Listener mail. <gasps> Our listener Greg wrote in and said some very kind words, but... He also had a qualm. A qualm? He wrote in with one qualm. His qualm is that somehow we got through judges without mentioning his favorite judge and favorite verse to choose during Sunday school lookup games. Shamgar, whose entire presence is Judges 331. Here is the entirety of Judges 331. After him came Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad. He, too, delivered Israel. Good for Shamgar. Shamgar seems like he had it on point. You're right. We made a grave mistake by not mentioning him. I'm, like, really disappointed in this because <laughs> I don't even remember Shamgar. Like, that doesn't that doesn't ring a bell for me at all. Well, you and yet he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What's an ox goad? I assume some sort of whip for goading oxen to go oh, faster. Oh, yeah. Or, like, some sort of, like, poking stick. Yeah. Wow. 600 Philistines with a poking stick? Yeah. That's impressive. It is. So hats off to you, Shamgar. And to our listener, Greg. That'll be all the Sunday School Dropouts you get this week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at SunSchoolDrop. Uh, same thing on Facebook or just search for Sunday School Dropouts. You can follow Lauren on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. You can. Um, and you can also, uh, I don't know, maybe like rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, you can be like one of the glorious... And right-thinking people who have left us reviews, including somebody named Tenshi Ray, who rated us 8 out of 8 delicious hamantashen, will nosh again. Also included Owls Are Raptors, who said they are loving this so much. <laughs> they said so much, but... Give it a shoot. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> or you could be like a happy listener 85, who gave us 3 out of 3 sacrificed oxen. Or plated lizard... Who says this is a fun podcast where reading the Bible is treated like a book club and give us 11 out of 11 flaming swords. I mean, it is a lot like a book club in that yeah. there's too much wine and we're not we, always in the book. Yeah, where we get off topic. And also there's like insane drama that you guys don't know about. <laughs> um, we, as always, thank Elise Carlton for our doing our amazing logo and Nico for his music sound editing and sound engineering skills and for the first time we don't have any animals to curse or bless oh, but if yeah. you'd like to let us know 
about a particular animal in your life that might need a curse or a blessing, please feel free to send those, including photos or we cannot do this properly. That's true. To contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. Yeah, now that we know that cows need curses from mm-hmm. last week, this just opens up a whole new world. You can also send any questions or comments to that address or to God himself. Oh, yeah. He'll forward him on. <laughs> he knows our address. Yeah. Until next week, this has been Sunday School Dropouts. My name is Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.